of yourself be changed from what was false to what is true. See, what the enemy did in the fall was he put a deception over the minds of men, so much so that what people now would now call evil they think is good, and what they see as good is evil. So, for instance, when God shows up, you notice people would hide and, oh, I can't, you can't see God's face and live. You know, that was the thing. And so there was this thing about God that he wasn't good anymore. And then there's this thing about us that we are supreme. You, that you see that mentality even now, uh, that people, people live in an age uh, where God is not welcome, uh, and it follows a pattern that dictators have followed for years. You know, the last, the last really true dictatorship developed that we can study in this day and age was probably in Russia, uh, at, at World War One, when the, uh, World War One was fought over uh, um, certain monarchies staying in power versus giving, I guess, power to the people. Well, in Russia, they had a revolution where the royal family was killed or overthrown, and they set up uh, they set up what they thought would be a democratic government, but it was just a bunch of dictators, and the communist system was taken took over. But the first thing the communists always do is tell you you can't have God. So that's the first order of business is take God away from the people, and then they will re- they will believe anything you tell them. So that's why you have liberal people all saying the same thing, thinking the same way. If you don't think like they think, you get persecuted, you get called names, uh, you you get uh, um, threatened, intimidated, all because it's a brainwashing principle that they are following. Or they, they think they're free thinkers, but they're following a thought pattern that's being dictated to them. And they are fearful of moving outside of it. It's the same thing that you find in false religions. So really you can say liberalism is its own religion now because its adherents are sold into it because there's nothing else for them to believe. And see, when they see people like Christians who don't believe that and are willing to stand up and say it, they either have to attack you in some way to tear it down or tear you down or to silence you because of intimidation. See, that's the accuser of the brethren. It's nothing but a bunch of name calling and uh, seeing if they can, like they call you racist, you're a homophobe. I say, yes, sign me up, sign me up, sign me up, sign me up. But Jesus is still Lord. You got me? And so, amen. And so you have to agree with your adversary. Why are you going to stand there and argue with the devil for? Because he's, he's trying to keep you trapped in a mindset that is not holy. It's an unholy mindset. And so that's what's going on in the world today. You see this played out in so many different themes. Liberalism is for the secular people, but people who like religion, there are many religions out there that are, and we talked about it yesterday, with the Hindus now in India trying to take over and make it one religion. Now you've got the Muslims trying to take over, make it one religion, and mostly murder people that don't agree with them. And so we, we have a lot of dictatorships 
running around in the world. And if, if, if we as believers don't understand what we're up against, we will fall right back into that old image of ourselves and trying to get along, not make waves, not uh, speak truth because it's not accepted, it's not the acceptable thing, we will run right back into the old image of ourselves that we had before we got saved. And see, this is always the devil's strategy with the Christian is to keep you from conforming to the image of Christ, keep you from developing your spiritual strength so that you can go forward and be what God wants you to be because that is his way of stopping the kingdom of heaven from advancing and taking over what he stole from God. You got me? So all of the devil's goods are stolen goods. He's trying to hold on to them because you know most thieves know that their stuff can be taken anytime uh, somebody wants to take it because of the way they got it. You got me? People who get things illegitimately are always afraid of losing them. That's why many times divorced men can't come back and see their real families. Because they're stolen goods and the woman that stole them is scared he might get over there and like his old place again. So they're always afraid of losing because of the way they got it. And so the enemy pulls out all the stops because he's afraid of losing because of the way he got what he has. So he'll call you names. He'll, he'll threaten you and threaten your children at school. If they speak up for Christ, he'll do all kinds of things to keep that old image of you intact so that you don't move over into the new image because once you move over into the new, that image fits you so well and there's so much fruit and benefit from it that he, wouldn't, he, he can't chance you getting over there and finding out who you really are in God and what God's created you to be and what your potential is in God. Because if he were to ever let you lose to find truth, it's really hard to brainwash people out of truth. You find something that works for you, and it's really hard to get you over into bondage where it doesn't work. I remember I would, I would get upset with myself because uh, uh, when I got into church, before I got into church, I was fine as far as believing God would prosper me. Because I'd seen him do it. You get in the church and they give you all these uh, rules and regulations. Oh, oh, no, you can't. No, you don't. Don't pray for God to do anything unless you're a tither. You know, they lift tithing up above God. And for a long time, I tried to put myself back in, put into some bondage over it like, I can't, I can't be blessed. I can't prosper. Oh, all this guilt because I'm not giving God a tenth and all this kind of stuff. And finally I said, well, God, if it's going to kill me to not tithe, it's just going to have to kill me because I have no power to do that. My faith wasn't there. Now, I do that and more now because my faith got me there. You understand what I'm saying? It's by grace these things happen through faith. If you're not graced to be able to do that, you're going to go broke trying to just keep condemnation off of your, your skull. 
And I began to realize, I said, you know, there's a whole lot more to this Christianity thing that we see on the surface. It's a bunch of rules and regulations and do this and God will do that and don't do this and you can't have that and all that kind of stuff. And I just realized, I said, well, God, you help me with this. You tell me how to give. I said, I want to give. I want to give more. And see, we killed a lot of promising givers with legalism. You got me? Because somehow in legalism, you can never do enough. It's never right. It's never sufficient. It's never anything right. And so I had to stop doing that and stop myself from putting myself back in a mental bondage which is the old man. And see, pretty soon you keep feeding that old man legalism, even though your intentions are good, and my intentions were good. But you keep feeding yourself anything other than the grace of God built upon the foundation of the blood of Jesus, and you're in trouble somewhere. And so that's what liberalism in the world does now. It feeds people a bunch of rules and regulations that if you don't abide by them, you get called names. If you don't believe in gay marriage, you're a hater. You're not a holy person, you're a hater. If you don't believe in uh, uh, homosexuality, that it's right and it's okay and you can do it in the church, then you're a hateful person. If you don't want immigrants running around here illegally, you're a hateful person. We have all these, and the list gets longer and longer. You've got to believe in global warning. You've got to believe in all this nonsense or you're a hateful person. Well, just sign me up as a hateful person. Huh? See, there's no power in their names unless you allow it to be powerful. But see, if you don't have God in you, you those, those names are very powerful to people that don't have God. I'm going to say it again. Those names are very powerful over people who don't have God. And see, the enemy will let God slip away from you if you don't watch yourself. You got me? Because you can be a compromiser just like they are. You can be a person who's more concerned about whether or not you're acceptable to man and a man pleaser instead of a God pleaser. So we're going to have to learn how to please God everywhere we are because the devil is constantly pulling at us to get us back over into the old way of thinking to that old man and old image and render us powerless as far as what God wants us to do down here on this earth. See, the more you can walk with God and the more you can conform to the image of Christ, the more Christ you can take on, the greater accomplishment you'll get in God. But you won't get conformed to that image if you don't believe and declare what you believe and believe the word of God. You can't sit up here and let these people talk and and just listen to them talk and halfway agree with them. Look at at, uh, some of the Christian preaching on television. It's almost a new age, most of it. They never mention the blood of Jesus, never mention the cross, never mention repentance from your sin, never tell people what sin is. We dare not mention specifics. But if you conform to the image of Christ, you will attain to the things that Christ upholds. He will stand behind you 100%. Not only that, 
But the fruit that you bear in your life will bear you out that you've been with Jesus, that you have Christ living in you. Amen? Your fruit speaks to your identity more than your power. Amen? Why? Because fruit is a consistent yielding in your life. It's not here and there, a prayer here and a prayer there to see if you can get a blessing. Shake the blessing tree and see what finds out, falls out. Fruit is what, what the trail that you leave behind in your life. That's your fruit. Amen? The, the imprint that your life makes down here on this earth, that's your fruit. You know, I started doing daily teachings uh, many years ago. My husband was still alive. He would, he would uh, pick up these teachings on the Internet. His friends would send him, and I would read them sometime. I'd say, ain't no word in this. What is this stuff? And so the Lord said, why don't you do something? And I said, okay, I'll do it. And I started uh, submitting those, and we submit them through the website, and, and my husband enjoyed them. He said, oh, this stuff is really good. So he would start sending it to his friends. The friends left him because they like the feely good, rubby stuff. Huh? Support, support your local feel-good person. They didn't like the Word of God. But he enjoyed it. And so that became my offering to the Lord. You understand what I'm saying? These are things that you do. This is part of your fruit. These are things that you do that leave a footprint behind you that prove God's activity in your life. And so from that, when I started going on Facebook, I said, oh, here's another opportunity for me to share Christ with people and so I would do a, a, a teaching a posting for that and I decided to create something for that instead see I could have easily found the old archives of what I'd done already and repost them all that kind of stuff but I decided to double my offering you see how easy it is to do it doesn't cost me anything to find a scripture that ministers to me and share it with other people and let it minister to them. When I write books, it's because I want to leave a footprint of something that I know is revelation from God because there's so much stuff out here that's not. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, some of the stuff that, uh, this is for somebody. God is going to bless you. Well, I'm already blessed. I'm not chasing down some word from you to tell me something that's not true. Because you didn't get that from God. Not from, for me, you didn't. So you need to know that apples yield apple trees. They don't yield anything but, I mean, apple trees yield apples. Sorry. Um, it's, it is the tree's identity, and it never changes. So when you belong to God, there is an identity that you have that yields a certain fruit in your life. And it never changes. If you submit to God, submit to his workings in you, the inner workings, then God will cause that fruit to come from you automatically. You, you'll be, like for instance, if God starts to put in your heart a desire to win souls, that will come automatic. You don't have to make any special preparations 
you know, to really, you make yourself available to God. Now listen, if you don't have opportunities to bear fruit, you better pray for them. You understand what I'm saying? Ask God, put me in the path of somebody. Or, and, and I'll tell you the best way to do this, effective, is whenever something comes up, you find out what God wants you to do. Don't tell people, oh, it's going to be all right. You don't know that. You're not God. You work for him, but you ain't him. So you have to learn how to step in there with prayer and with the identity of Christ as an intercessor so you can affect the work for God down here in the earth. This don't come with, you know, happy sayings. Oh, don't worry, it's going to be all right. That's all you got to say, uh, save it. There's no power there. How you can guarantee somebody it's going to be all right? What are you doing? What do you? What word do you have out there that assures me that that's true and that's coming from the Spirit of God? You see what I'm saying? So there's a difference when you when you have the identity of Christ, you bear fruit according to what Christ would do. The only way you can know that is you got to put Him in the situation. You tell people, you know what, I'm going to pray for you. Is that okay? I'll pray with you now. Or if they're in a hurry, you tell them, well, okay, I'm going to pray for you. Don't worry about it. I will be praying. And God's going to fix this for you because I know he wants to fix it for you. Amen? You can say that because you know that from experience and you know the word. Somebody's sick, you know God wants them well. It's not false to tell somebody God will heal you because he will. You understand me? Now, you don't, don't get stupid and go set a day, a time, and an hour on it. Just stay with the truth. Amen. You pray for enough people and seen enough healings, no God will do it. So that's what you say. You reassure people that God is in control. So we want to uh, stay with the right identity in our lives. You have a choice between two, the old image and the new image. Let God help you strengthen the new, and the old dies automatically. You don't have to kill the flesh. You don't have to kill the old man. He dies automatically when you said The Bible says that if you, through the Spirit, mortify the deeds of the flesh, you mortify the deeds of the flesh by walking in the Spirit. Take the spiritual root out of the situation. If somebody offends you, you instantly forgive them. You can go around and talk about it for 15 years and see how many people you can get worked up. That's not the new man. That's your old little troublemaker used to do to, to uh, terrorize your family and the neighborhood. You understand what I'm saying? So stop that and step over into the new. But how come I always got to be the one to do it? Because God told you to. He's only talking to you. He ain't talking to that other person. We need to learn how to mind our businesses. Uh, you take care of your business, you'll be fine. You can only handle one person at a time. It's like you see people, you see people in traffic. Somebody zoom behind. You can only drive one car at a time. And some of these brothers be packing. You go leaning on that horn. They throw a gun up your nose. That'll be the last horn you honk at somebody. Uh huh. You can't drive two cars at one time. Stay in yours and take care of your little beeswax. 
is the truth. We need to be converted. A convert is somebody who has made a change. Amen? Somebody who has made a change. It's kind of funny. Sometimes we read the testimonies of people in the uh, persecuted church, and they get saved and, and try to hide it for a while, and somebody knows. You can't hide the Holy Ghost. You know, he moves into your life. He's there to be visible. He's there to do a work through you. And he's there to do the will of God. So all you, the best you can do is agree with him and go along for the ride. You understand what I'm saying? Once you take a couple of wild wild rides with the Holy Ghost and you realize you're still living, you say, oh, yeah, I I I think I can live like this. But a convert is somebody who has been changed in some way. In the natural, the only thing that can really ever change is your mind and your behavior. You know, your, but, but in God, your spirit changes. And that's a game changer. Your spirit goes from being full of darkness now, it's enlightened by the spirit of God when you're, when you're born again. And you are converted chiefly through the renewing of your mind. See, your heart is sold out to God because it's born of God. Now, there are some things that you can do from some, some darkness that's still in your heart. But God is, is so perfect in the way he works with us. He pulls a, a curtain down, I say, between the old man and the new. A veil exists between your old man and your born-again spirit man. And you don't ever have to go behind that veil to find any darkness. All you got to do is let God's word work in you. And pretty soon that darkness that's in your old man diminishes and diminishes. And it's us to keep it alive. By nursing it, by giving it play, by meditating on the things that it gives us to think about. And so if we will allow that new creation to dominate, if you through the spirit mortify or kill the deeds of the flesh, because your spirit man is 50,000 times stronger than your flesh man. He's dead already. That's why the Bible says reckon him dead because he is dead. He's not dead because you pretend he's dead. He is actually dead. And his works are dead. Why? Because they won't survive the judgment of God. All the works of darkness will be burned up in the judgment. And so that's dead stuff anyway. So you want to make sure that you don't give in to that and try to breathe life into that deadness again. By meditating on things that have to do with carnality and the natural man. And so your image then of yourself begins to change because you have been born again and you are being converted, transformed every day by the renewing of your mind. If you don't fight the new thought that's coming to you from the word of God, you will continually be transformed by the Holy Spirit feeding your soul health. Talk about health food. The Word of God is exactly that. When you meditate on the Word of God, your soul then is transformed and refreshed and restored and renewed. 
Do you ever have sometimes a, a thought, you get something from God and it'll seem familiar to you, but you know it's new, like you never saw it before? Well, that's because your spirit man knew all this stuff before the fall. Like people say things like when they get a prophecy. Now, you ain't heard that about yourself before, you little liar. You know, everybody try. It was just a confirmation. Well, what do you mean just a confirmation? I like to have stuff confirmed to me. It gets more solid on the inside of you. But what has happened is that this information came to you, and it was new information, but it seems familiar to you. Because it belongs to your inner man who has been laying sleeping dormant because you've been sinning all your life. Now he wakes up and he starts to feed on stuff that's familiar to him because it's a part of him. So what is happening is your new man is becoming more and more alive, but he's been alive before. He got killed in the garden. And what happened was darkness shrouded him, so he couldn't move, he couldn't breathe, he couldn't, and then all of a sudden, you get born again, he starts to wake up. And he starts to grab onto himself. That's why sometimes you can go out and do something for God you've never done before, and it's just as easy to you. It's just once you get in that flow, you know how you can ride that wave out and get in that groove? That's because your spirit man knows what to do before God. He's done all this stuff in the presence of God before. You understand what I'm saying? He's taken on the image of God and he understands and he knows God perfectly. That's why brand new Christians can run off and get 18 people saved and pew sitters can sit up there and wonder. You know what I'm saying? Because that inner man now has finally come back alive again. That's why it says the renewing, renewing of your mind. Getting newness in your your mind that was a new mind at one time before the fall. And so when we come to life in God, that's why you can't predict on people how many years being a Christian is going to take before they can do this and that. You leave people alone. And let God train them and teach them. But I'm telling you, if you commit yourself to being a new creature and, and conforming to the image of Christ. And it's not something you do. It's something you let God do. You let God do these things in you. You're drawn to the Word because of a hunger that's in your spirit for more of what He needs to keep Him alive. Like your spirit man craves to hear about himself. When you read the Word of God, your spirit man is reading about himself. That's who I am. I know that. I can do that. That's the person. That's who I really am. Him right there. That's why you can sit up and read the Word for hours and hours till we get over into uh, wisdom or whatever lure the devil puts on you to drag you away from that and bring you back into carnality. But it's good to stay in that flow of the newness of your mind, renewing your mind, loving revelation, loving understanding, and knowing where to get it. Don't go off on your own trying to look for some new thing. You wind up getting ensnared by the devil every single time. Feed yourself on the newness that's feeding you. And stay with the newness that's feeding you. Amen? 
It's got to be feeding you. And so God wants us to do that. He wants us to stay in that flow of newness that feeds us. Second Corinthians, let me see. Yeah, the, a convert is someone who has made a change. And for Christians, it is a change in your identity or your image of yourself. How do you see yourself as a new creature in Christ? You've got to see yourself the way God sees you. You've got to let go of the old and, and really embrace the new. You, you've, got to, you've got to do that. And you can't argue with them. And you've got to receive all of the new. You, you know, you can't, like, refuse. Oh, let me see. Uh, no, nah, I don't like that. Uh, if God put it before you, it's for your benefit. It, it'll help you and it'll train you into thinking different and being different. Second uh, Corinthians 5.17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. We said that old things have passed away. They are dead. You're dead to me. Yeah. All things are new. Everything about you is new. In other words, you don't keep any of the old. I'm going to say it again. Because we have our little pet things that we like about our carnality that we like to take with us into the new life. Oh, it's not so bad. Or you look around, look around, look around, try to find another Christian who's doing that. Huh? It's called backsliding. And see, and you're hanging on to the old image and trying to see what we want. Let me tell you what we really want. We want the blessings and benefits of the new creature, but we don't want the lifestyle. And we don't want the conforming. And we don't want to let go of the old stuff. We want to keep, keep our hipness and our coolness. Huh? And so we don't want to. We don't want to look funny to the world. We don't want to. We don't want to dress like the Duggars. If that keeps you holy, then you probably need to. You understand what I'm saying? Huh? I don't go with all that either. You understand what I'm saying? I would want something. I'd be the one that would say, Mama, could I have something new? I want to I want to go to the secondhand store again today. You understand what I'm saying? And, and there's nothing wrong with what they do, and there's nothing wrong with wanting something new every now and then, but it ain't fitting in with the general plan. You get that when you get grown. You understand what I'm saying? But, but the thing of it is, there are certain things we must face that must be done if we're going to conform. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying do this, do that, and do the other because it's holier than something else. But I'm saying you know when you're holding on to the world and to some worldly image of yourself and things that you refuse to change, even though you have questions about them. A question is a sin. Huh? What's not a faith is... You look in the mirror, you question how you dress going to church, and you, ah, I'm okay. What's not a faith is sin. Put something else on. Grow up. I'm telling you, your future might depend on that one little thing. It's always the little thing we hang on to we think ain't important 
winds up being the thing that will tip the balance in God's eyes. Nobody wants to be stuck with a rebellious person. So we must accept by faith what the word says about us. You got to you get to get that burned in out. I would say if you get legalistic about anything, it would be about your new identity. Cuz it will be foreign to you until you get accustomed to and the nice thing about God is once he tells you you are something, then he sets about making you prove it. So it sticks with you. Once you start doing it, you can't deny who you are. If God tells you, I always say these people, you know, God called me as this. I'm a this. Always sticking a title on themselves, you know. And and if that's who you are, evidence is going to show up somewhere. Now, if I tell y'all that I'm a mother, I got to have some kids somewhere. You understand what I'm saying? They got to show up at some point, sometime. If I tell you I'm a baker, well, how come she don't never bring no cakes to church? You understand what I'm saying? But you see people, Christians, Christians are good at this. They call it faith. I call it lying. Because God is not going to have you going around parading yourself as something and never give you, you the one need the evidence. That's why you keep repeating it over and over again. He, he gives you the fruit and the proof to convince yourself that that's who you are. People, you know, we've spent a lot of time, money, and energy in some things. Now, I'm not against school, no kind of school. I, I finished Bible school myself. I finished a lot of people's schools trying to, you know, get ahead in life. <laughs> Be somebody. But, uh, you know, I... I God trained me to do what I'm doing. I think I'm trained, you know what I'm saying, to do what I'm doing. Just me and him. I started out that way. Just me and him. If I needed extra studies, I asked him about that, and I went and did what he told me to do. But pretty much, it's been me and him. And people say things like, well, whose prophetic school did you go to? I said, God's. Oh, I see what you mean. No, you don't. Huh? Because I don't need anybody's approval. See, there's some things that if you have to find them out, search them out between you and God, they're more valid than what you take somebody's word for. People ask me, have you read Bishop So-and-So's book on... Uh, prophets and oh, you got to read that. That's a must read. Really? Haven't read it. Don't want to read it. Don't feel led to read it. You know? I want to ask them how much did you pay for it? Huh? But they'll say, "Well, oh, you got to, you got to do this." They'll say, "Well, then, uh, if if you if a prophet, if watchman is a prophet, what does that mean?" I said, "Well, I got it from the Bible." Really? Well, see, other people don't see that because they don't read it for themselves. They're taking somebody else's word for it. We got a lot of people who should be watchmen and intercessors going off doing something. They all want to prophesy a blessing to somebody. They think that's the ministry. 
And so I would read the Bible and God would show me things. He says, now this, he said, I want you to do this because this is part of your gift as a prophet. And I said, oh, okay. And, and I would just read it. And then the next thing I knew when I got in front of people, it would show up. That's how the Holy Spirit trains you. I don't need to pay $2,000 for somebody calling me Dr. Barb. You understand what I'm saying? So I can get approved by their little group of people. See, I know one thing that we're called to pray. That much I do know. And we're called to what God told me the first conferences we had to showcase prophetic ministry. So that's why we had dancers and we had mimes and we had, you know, all the trouble I went through, sorting through and sifting through these people. And anxiety, you get them there, you don't know what they're going to do. Do you understand what I'm saying? Trying to be obedient to God. Why? So that God's people could understand what the prophet's office entailed, what kind of fruit would come forth from that office, and whether or not it was valid and what the body of Christ needed. I remember Alan Wilson prophesying many years ago. He said, it's not going to be like this forever, all this persecuting of the real prophets. He said, people are going to hunger for this. And I'm thinking, huh? You know what I'm saying? Huh? Really? I can live in a cave forever. You know what I'm saying? Don't bug me. But I knew that there was a benefit to the body of Christ for the ministry and the anointing and the office if it's done right. So that's why I've endeavored to do it right and not try to be popular and blow up and run from this meeting and that meeting and the other meeting so I could get exposed to the right people. And preachers are funny. I'm going to tell you something. If they know you got the goods, they'll never tell anybody. They know you. You understand me? That's how they do you. And you can be paying their bills and, and letting them come and minister in their, your meetings. Well, they preach in a lot of places where people don't get healed. But if you've got a healing anointing, they'll never recommend you to that place. Because they're scared they won't get called back anymore. Friends is funny. <laughs> huh? That's why we got one who sticks closer than a brother. Amen. <laughs> you know, sometimes I have to stop myself and really think about these things to, you know what I'm saying, because I don't live in that realm of. They don't like me. I got over that so many years ago. You know, first before I even got in ministry, I got over that. So you know, I just hey, I'll put on my deodorant next time. You know, whatever you tell yourself to make yourself go to sleep at night. 
but uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so when you're transformed, we are conforming to the image of Christ and your image, what you think about yourself and what you accept, I'll put it that way, from God about who you are. You can't create, you can't reinvent yourself like these crazy, like you elders or something, you know. Uh-huh. With his one-piece jumpsuit and his pose, da 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 You know, they do through them three times Elvis has left the building. You know, I mean, that's how you reinvent yourself. And do that until they get sick of it and then you go reinvent it. I ain't talking about that. Huh? I'm talking about how God sees you, what he called you to do, who you are. You'll find that in the Word of God. It's always going to be there. And as you sit before this mirror, you'll find who you are. You'll find your identity. Quit fighting who you are. And just learn to accept it, learn how to embrace it, and learn how to be what God has called you to be. In order to accomplish this, there's a a position you have to take. I was going to say a work you have to do, but really it's a position you have to take. And that is to cast down and refute anything that argues against that. So you're going to have that little little thing in you, self-pity person, that likes to say, oh, yeah, yeah, I would do that, but they don't like me. They won't let me. You've got to cast him down. You've got to choke him, strangle him, and tell him he don't speak no more. He doesn't run your life anymore. So we can cast down and refute anything that stirs up, builds up, or edifies your old man. Anything that gets him stronger in your life, you cast that down. I don't care what it says. You know when it's tickling your flesh. And so you cast that thing down and allow that thing to die and stay dead. Second Corinthians 10.5 tells you that. Casting down imaginations, thoughts, old images, and they'll begin to exalt themselves against who God says you really are. So your new image will begin to get a little tarnished or shaky or insecure based on what you give ear to from your old man, what you allow him to tell you. You know, I hate to see people going backwards in their identity. And, and you can see how the world plays with stuff like this. And I'll just speak to what I know as, a, as an African-American person. That I don't want to see us go back to this thing. Everybody's racist. Look at how they treat me. Pity, pity. I'm not a pitiful person. Number one, I'm not black no more. I'm a Christian. You understand what I'm saying? That is my identity, period. You got me? I don't identify with nothing. Even when I was black, I didn't identify with all that crazy blackness. Because I saw where it was going. I thought Martin Luther King was the person who was called to lead that movement, and once he died, that meant there was, it wasn't time for that movement anymore. Let's move on to building on a foundation. Listen, I, I lived in a town. I was telling Tony, I said, listen, I said, you can go out and apply for any job you want to. I lived in a time where your white girlfriend would come with less credentials than you had. They put your application in the wastebasket, and she got hired. 
but I never moaned about it. I just dust, shook the dust off my feet and went on to the next thing that I considered to be an opportunity. We have, as a people, black people have never suffered from opportunity. They said segregation. You can't go over here with the white. We just built our own communities. We had black doctors. We had black hospitals. We had, we took care of ourselves. So don't tell me it can't be done. See, this business running around here is a diversion from what we really need to focus our attention on because if nothing else, the civil rights movement should have shown us that God would prevail over anybody's stupidity, over anybody's. You take God away from people and you right back to the same old arguments again. So that's why we're having these stupid racial arguments where we're getting that, that uh, race devil infected into the minds of young people now and pulling them back several generations. You got me? You'll never get anywhere because some people are satisfied arguing and striving over things. They never want to build and move on. Look at, look at the Jew. Now you think those people weren't hurting person? No, but they, they say, ah, that's over. Let's build and move on. They support most societies that they're in. They build more hospitals, give away more money. Why? Because they're determined to build and move on instead of being stuck in an old identity of always being hated, persecuted, and put down. Most of them shun that and go build a business and go do something else with their money. Let me show them how, how downtrodden I am. I'll give them three million bucks for this building. You understand what I'm saying? That's how you prove who you are. Don't prove it by whining all the time and complaining all the time. Get a free cell phone and you happy. Let's cut that out. Makes me sick. So we can cast down and refute the old image. You can make that thing stay dead. It's dead already because of the cross. You make it stay dead. Your friend is the blood of Jesus because he constantly renews you in the image of Christ. Constantly. Every time you apply the blood to your life, Father, I want to move on to something new. I'm repenting of staying stuck in my old place. I'm repenting of getting comfortable the way I've been living. I mean, you know, start repenting of things that that keep you from conforming more to the image until you you're more and more glorious in God's eyes. Let that be a, a, a mission for you. Don't ever get satisfied. Well, I haven't. I don't smoke. I don't drink. I don't. There's a lot of stuff you don't do. Like some of it is what God wants you to do. So let's not get crazy with that. Don't get giddy about you know your do's and your don'ts. But allow God. God, what is next on the horizon for me? What is next in my life that you need to bring me into, so that I can be more like Christ? I can do more. In the power of God. I can be more of what you've ordained me to be. This is how we live, folks. Always casting down old images. These images were real in the past, but now they are imaginary. Where it used to be the reverse. Remember you used to have good thoughts of not ever doing nothing bad? And you do something bad and say, well, that's over with. 
That's before you knew Christ. Now the imagination is the old stuff you used to do. And see, what I'm telling you, what backslides, what causes people to backslide is they start pumping life into a dead image. Yeah, for sure. If God says, reckon yourself dead to sin, old things are passed away, why pump life into an old image of yourself? Huh? Sit around, feel sorry for yourself. Well, you know. I didn't get this, and I didn't get that, and I guess who are you talking about? That person's dead. But see, you keep pumping life into it, and you'll start walking in this imagination that you are that person again, and you're not. You need to make up your mind who you are. You're not some pitiful little person that can't catch a break. Every time I go to a new job, they don't like me. Well, put on some deodorant, brush your teeth, put on, get some mouthwash, but fix it. Because it's fixable, whatever it is. You're not stuck in that old image. You, you know, get yourself together and fix that. You don't know how to fix things, go to God. He's the great fixer. And quit letting them devils chase you everywhere you go. You start living double free for a change. Nothing but stupid, tired, familiar spirits, and they get sick of messing with you. They be begging the devil for a new assignment. Oh, man, not her again. Lord have mercy. Or him. You know, let's get over our old self. You don't need to drag that old dead body out every time something goes wrong in your life. You need to repent. You need to start walking in the new. Repent for not accepting who you really are. If nothing else. So what used to be your real in the past is now imagination. There's no life to it. So just dust. All you need to do is blow on it and go away. Many Christians think in the opposite way. We see the new creation as a, a weak a wish or an imagination. And identify with more with the old. You need to reverse the way you see things. You know how you reverse it? You strengthen it by meditating on the word. Make it. Make yourself believe it. Huh? Just like you made yourself believe you was hot. <laughs> you stand in the mirror long enough, you make yourself believe anything. Huh? <laughs> right. Doing your Marilyn Monroe poses. Boop, boop, uh, You know, you come on, y'all. Spend that time in the Word. Think what would happen to your new creation image if you took the time that you spend feeding something carnal and silly and put it into your identity in the Word. We have to see ourselves in the mirror of the word and know we measure up. Don't use the word to always just beat yourself up and correct yourself. But use it to validate who you are. Everybody wants to be validated. That's why we sit around and wonder why we haven't received our answer to prayer yet. 
What you, what you really, now listen, let me tell you, when you're, what you're really looking for, you know how you sit around and your mind is blank for a minute and you start thinking, I wonder when God's going to answer this, wonder when I'm going to get this, and wonder when. You're not really wanting an answer to prayer. Uh-huh. See, all y'all can hear that. Huh? Listen, you want to get married but not. Because you don't have it yet. When you're fully persuaded. But see, when we start questioning why is it taking so long, we just want to be validated. We want to feel good about ourselves. We don't like feeling like we think we haven't done something that we're supposed to do. We don't like that question mark out there. And so we'll start troubling ourselves about our answers to prayer. Because that's, that's how Christians measure their Christianity. Am I, am I good or am I bad? Depending on that, well, if I, how many answers? Did I get my answer yet? If I got my answer, I'm good. If I didn't get it, question mark. And so we're looking more to be validated when we do that than we really are looking for the answer to prayer. Mm-hmm. That's pretty weak. I thought. So why are you snooping around in the garbage can looking for food? Go get in the Word. Go strengthen your image of who you are. Say, no, God, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to beat myself for the umpteenth time because it's not my season to receive what it is I'm asking you for. Now, some of our stuff is overdue. Huh? If it's overdue, it's just a matter of casting down that stuff that's telling you that there's a good reason why it's not here yet. You've got to know the difference between a seasonal thing and something that's already given. If it's something that's already given and you have not received it yet, then there are some things that you can do to strengthen that and hasten that to come to you. Huh? We all know the confession. We all know the drill. Believe you receive. Start thanking God for it before you get it. If you can keep yourself validating yourself with the word of God and thanksgiving, you'll see it. And if you don't have it yet, you'll be full of joy anyway. We miss too much based on image. We're trying to pull things in and we don't know who we are, what we're pulling, and why we're pulling it. you got to have all those boxes checked for faith to work. Well, faith works by love, not by discouragement and anger, hostility, thinking you deserve things. It doesn't work in that atmosphere. So you hold on to that. You know, it's like making excuses all the time. Well, this is why that's not here. You don't know that. You don't know nothing. You're guessing. Why don't you say, I believe I receive it. And God, I thank you for it. You don't need a reason why nothing's happened yet. I can give you 50 of them. And they all sound good. Huh? Global warming. 
Didn't I sound deep? No, you need to get over in the spirit where your stuff is. Because your spirit man is constantly pulling for you. He's constantly pulling for your reward. He's constantly pulling for your blessing. But we shut him off with reasoning. Cast this down and let this live. Amen. We transform, Romans 12:1. we transform by the renewing of your mind. You renew your mind so that you can accept who you are. You get peace about who you are through renewing your mind. A converted person sees with their eyes, hears with their ears, and understands with their heart. And that's how you get connected to God. You begin to see yourself differently. You know, people, people start believing the lies of the devil after a while. That's why we get pushed into different things. Hey, you know, premature things. All you need to do is start working on your image. Amen? And, and just begin to declare what God, God's word says about you. And once you begin to declare it, start looking for opportunities to walk it out and demonstrate it. If you want to be a husband or a wife, I hate keep going here, but you know it's the only place to go right now. You need to start looking at yourself in the Word. Find them Hebrew girls at the well doing the right thing at the right time. Not them, not them hangers on there at the wrong time. You know, the woman at the well that met Jesus was a dead giveaway because she was the only woman there. So he knew she wasn't there for the right reason. Huh? Got a bucket in her hand so she'd be the only woman there so there's no competition. Listen, y'all can exhale now. I'm not going in your business. But you've got to start seeing yourself as somebody's husband or somebody's wife. And don't push that image out of your mind based on what, you, what the devil is telling you about you. You know, if you let him... You know, you you say you do one thing wrong in your life. If you let him, he'll string that into 50. Oh, I didn't know I murdered Jimmy Hoffa, too. Oh, Lord, please forgive me. You understand what I'm saying? He'll bombard your mind with negative information. You're not this. You're not that. It must be this. It must be that. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't let that just be in your brain and never challenge it. The first thing the devil will tell you, well, you're over 30 now. Nobody wants you. Good. I'm going to start hanging around with some 20-somethings then. (laughs) Maybe I'll lose a few years. Something, anything to answer him back. But you've got to see yourself. You know what happens? You start seeing yourself and getting excited about it, and the devil says, stop that. 
Now, what did I tell you yesterday? I told you nobody wants you because of... I'll never change that. Yeah, that's right. You won't. But God can give you a true image of who you are. And you start operating in that. You understand what I'm saying? He'll give you a true image of who you are and you start operating in that. You know, there's, there's some man somewhere. If you're a woman, there's some man somewhere who's praying for a wife. Start finding out what that is from the Bible. God, what does a wife do? How does a wife act? What, how do they respond? What do they look like? Huh? How do they dress? What's their conversation like? How can I be delightful and engaging? I'm talking basic stuff, folks. I ain't talking about nothing earth shattering. And nobody, everybody knows you ain't Martha Stewart. Or we'd have a much bigger building than what we have. With our same number of people, because y'all don't invite people on Friends and Family Day, but I ain't going there. You understand me? But we are expecting that image to come into you where you're, the worst thing you can do is try and fake a relationship and take it to the altar. And then you get there, you find out he ain't got nothing and you ain't got nothing. Then you're mad at each other. Huh? So start being for real. If you don't, if you can, listen, if you don't know how to, now you ought to know better than this, but I'm going to tell you, if you don't know how to do nothing but boil corn, people don't boil corn no more, you got me? But you get your little four little ears, three for you and one for <laughs> and let that be your offering. Maybe I can boil corn. Well, don't put the butter in it when it's in the water. Take it out of the water first and then butter it. Oh, sorry, D. <laughs> but you learned it, you too. Oh, no, let's go say. <laughs> we got two guilty suspects that I'm trying for boiling corn and putting the butter in the water. But they're working on it. See, they're conforming to the image of Christ. Then you get the kids and the Holy Spirit say, I could have told you don't do that. Why don't you ask me? I'm your friend up in here. I know your little stuff is shaky, but y'all in love. You prayed about it. God said, okay. See, that's the difference. You got to get yourself, put yourself in that image. And see, over time, that image develops into a greater capacity to do that wife thing or that husband thing. You understand what I'm saying? But you got to start somewhere. You gotta quit rejecting that what God tells you about yourself, and start seeing yourself there. Little girls start thinking that that they like other girls. You understand me? Image is very important. Little boys start acting feminine. All that is, image is extremely important. Keep your kids in the Word and get them understanding who they are in God. 
Conversion is a matter of listening, a matter matter of listening to God tell you who you are, and believing it, and seeing that new person in the Word and getting it, understanding your new person, accept and embrace your new identity, one hundred percent. Don't just talk about, well, you know, I, I, I could do this and I could do that. Find out who you really are and start doing that thing, if you, even if it's just one thing. Just one thing. Oh, I'm sorry, Shannon, what time, how much time do we have? Probably not much. <laughs> Shannon, did you have that for me? Okay. I was going to uh, share some things with you about image and about who a person really is. And is this man, I don't think he's a Christian. I'm, I need to research it, but uh, y'all know who Jack Ma, M-A, Ma, is. His net worth is $37.6 billion. I just found that. It's up from this one. He's the CEO and owner of Alibaba.com. It used to be, they used to call it the Asian Google, but it's far surpassed Google and Amazon. It's an Internet company. And so uh, he was once the 18th richest person in the world. He sure moved up from there. But he has some quotes here. It says, no matter how tough the chase is, you should always have a dream you saw on the first day. Hmm? Don't quit. It will keep you motivated and rescue you from any weak thoughts. Now, he's a big person on changing the way that you think. And it'll amaze you some of the things he went through to change the way that he thought. He says, I try to make myself happy because I know that if I'm not happy, my colleagues are not happy. And my shareholders are not happy. And my customers are not happy. So your attitude is everything. I'm not a tech guy. I'm looking at the technology with the eyes of my customers, normal people's eyes. My job is to help more people have jobs. That's what his job is. He says, when we have money, we start making mistakes. It's the same thing God tells us. When, you're, when you get wealth, be careful that you don't forget God. Amen? If you don't give up, you still have a chance. Giving up is the greatest failure. He said, life is so short, so beautiful. Don't be serious about work. Enjoy the lives. And I'm not talking about your J-O-B, but I mean about yourself. You know, you need to lighten up on yourself. Huh? Some people have no sense of humor when it comes to them, their mistakes, where they're at. It's all serious, serious. You understand what I'm saying? Lighten up, okay? Just lighten up. Because you create problems with, when you do that. He says, when you are small, now he's not a Christian, you can tell. He said, when you are small, you have to be very focused and rely on your brain, not your strength. Got me? He's small in stature, and he started his company off from, from small. He said, I don't care about revenues. He should preach in a church. That's what we talk about most of the time, huh? <laughs> you never know that the things you're doing are that meaningful to society. In other words, don't seek to blow up and be important. <laughs> 
A leader should have higher grit and tenacity and be able to endure what the employees can't. You got me? So if you're a leader, you have to be able to endure things people who follow you cannot endure. He said, I don't want the people in China to have deep pockets but shallow minds. He says, I don't want to be liked. I want to be respected. You never know how much you can do in your life. You should learn from your competitor but never copy. Copy. Amen. Copy and you die. (laughs) He says, it doesn't matter if I failed. At least I passed the concept on to others. Even if I don't succeed, someone will. You have to have that. You can't be possessive about stuff either. I call myself a blind man riding on a blind tiger. (laughs) The very important thing you should have is patience. Instead of learning from other people's successes, learn from their mistakes. Most of the people who fail share common reasons to fail, whereas success can be attributed to various different kinds of reasons. If a customer loves you, the government will have to love you. (laughs) From a lot of people to remember. (laughs) And here's another. He said, you need the right people with you, not the best people. says we appreciate yesterday but we are looking for a better tomorrow I want to change history do something important in my life and influence individuals like we have with millions of small businesses then they love and respect you because you have made their life important Amen. so how much more can a Christian do of making people's lives important amen Amen. Praise God. So this is the thing, folks. Image is extremely important. It's more important than your confession. It's more important than a lot of things than your faith. Faith comes from who you know you are. If you don't know who you are in Christ, your faith will never work for you because you'll always be in doubt about pulling the trigger on things. Moses was born a Hebrew and raised as an Egyptian. So you can say he had an identity problem. He didn't know who he was. So the truth about who you are lies somewhere deep inside of you, just like it did in Moses. In Exodus chapter 2, if you'll turn there, and I'll just talk about him for the time that we have left. Exodus chapter 2 Start in verse 11. It says, It came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren and looked on their burdens and he spied an Egyptian slapping a Hebrew, one of his brethren, and he looked this way and that way. Okay. Confused people look this way and that way. See, if your identity is not solid in you, 
You'll be looking over here for who you are. You'll be looking over here for who you are. You'll never keep your focus straight ahead because you have no direction and no vision. He looked this way and that way, and when he saw that there was no man, M-A-N, this has nothing to do with God. But man-pleasers and people who are centered on man, and that's all they know, like we were before we came to Christ, he saw nobody was looking. And he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two men of the Hebrews were arguing. So now, first situation There's an Egyptian mistreating a Hebrew. He's angry. He suddenly identifies with the Hebrew. He kills the Egyptian. Then he sees two Hebrews arguing, and he's more confused. You understand what I'm saying? And so if you're trying to get your identity from man, you will always be confused. And two men of the Hebrews strove together, and he said to him, what did he do wrong? Why are you hitting your fellow? And he said, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Are you intending to kill me like you did the Egyptian? And Moses feared and said, somebody knows about this. So he goes out and he begins to hide from Pharaoh. Pharaoh finds out, finds out that Moses did this and he starts looking for him and that puts Moses on the run as a fugitive. So here we have a man with an identity that he has tacked on to himself because of the confusion that he's born into. Moses, for God's purposes, had to be hidden and in the, in the, take on the, the Egyptian identity just to survive and just to live. But after a while, you come to a place where you're not just a survivor anymore. See, the things that we did to survive and live as sinners, we can't do those anymore. You got me? Those things are passed away from us. They're not to be a part of our lives anymore. So God has to bring Moses to a place where he's divorced from both influences in his life so that now he can take on his true identity, which only comes from God. You'll never know who you are. And never attain to any kind of potential until you get who you are directly from God. And see, Moses' problem was the man-pleasing thing. He was in Pharaoh's court and had to pretend to be uh, one of Pharaoh's heirs. Even though he knew he wasn't, he was being groomed for something he was never going to get. And as a Hebrew, he didn't even know how to relate to his people because he had been in, in Egypt for so long. He didn't know anything about worshiping God. He didn't know anything about what God expected. That's when he walked into God and observing that bush that burned and wasn't consumed, God said, take your shoes off. What do you mean stepping in front of me with shoes on? Don't you know better? So God begins to teach him holiness from day one. That's us. You get saved, you start learning holiness. Even if you bungle a job most of the time, you stay in there because it's worth learning holiness. <laughs> That's everything to God. And so Moses then, is, he's, he's running as a fugitive. 
But what does he do? He, he starts taking on a different identity in verse 17. And the shepherds came and drove them away. That's the, uh, talking about the priest of Midian. His daughters were up there drawing water as a group of young girls working in their dad's house. Familiar story? And so they're drawing water and some men are manhandling them and Moses steps in. And he does some bicep curls. I just threw that in. I mean, that would make me watch if I... Oopsie. You know, he's up there drawing the water. He rolls up his shoulder like Josh. You know, he does the Josh Dillard for the girls, and he's pressing the water with one hand. Later on, he's looking for an ice pack, but you impress the girls, right? That's what's important. So Moses does this thing, comes to the attention of these girls' father, and he happened to, to be a priest in Midian. And he look, observes Moses. He's got two eligible daughters, and he offers one of them in marriage to Moses, and that's how Moses gets married. Right place, right time, confused identity. He's looking for who he is. But God sets him up so that he can at least be in a place where he can be trained and understand some basic things about how to serve God and how to live as a respectable man. And so Moses then steps into this confused identity. He's working for his father-in-law, Jethro, when God finally finds him, and this is 40 years after he's murdered that Egyptian. Does it take sometimes? Oh, yeah, it takes a long time sometimes. Especially when God's got a long time to work with you. Sometimes the longer the better. We think we're ready for all kinds of things in God, day one. A lot of times it's just your flesh getting excited. Just settle down and let your spirit man adjust to who he is or who she is. And you'll be able to find who God is calling you and what he's calling you to. There is no greater benefit than to know what God wants you to do with your life and be about doing it. Amen? Be in that every day. And I'm telling you, everybody, every day can know exactly what God wants them to do. It's no great mystery. you got a Bible. What it takes for most people is you got false dreams living inside of you somewhere. You've got vain imaginations in there somewhere that are clouding your vision of, God, of who God really is calling you to be. Many times we're holding on to your old identity isn't just a sinful identity. Sometimes it's stuff you think that you're supposed to have and they're fun for you. And we have to learn how to cast all of that down. God, I've been believing you for this, but I don't know how long it hasn't happened yet. Let me know if that's really what you want me to be doing. If it's for somewhere off in the future, then give me a life that's satisfying to me where I am right now. Because I'm not satisfied. I'm not content. I'm not happy. I'm not, I'm not doing what I think I'm supposed to be doing. I don't know if I'm doing the right thing, God. But I need to know for a certainty what it is that you need me to do. And it all derives from your image. You get the right picture of yourself before God, and God will begin to fill in all the necessary parts for that picture. If you're content, look for greater challenges in your life. You're never, you're never satisfied. 
Your image is constantly changing and gaining strength and becoming more like Christ. You, you can't stop where you are. But we all need to press in there and go forward. God, there's something else that I can get out of this anointing, out of this gift, out of this ability, out of my job, out of my friendships, out of my something. But there's more that I can attain, God. Help me get in that place where I can attain more in you. Amen. It depends on who you think you are and what God's called you to be and how aware you are of that person. And don't just say you're aware of it and go away and leave it. You must start working on it. If you know what God wants, you start working on it. Every day go before God and say, God, I want to do more of that. I want to find out more about who I really am. I want to be solid in who I am. I don't like being insecure and nervous and fearful and not knowing and, and waiting and not knowing if I'm waiting on something real. I want to know it's real, God. Just be real with me, God. I'll be real with you. And God will help you. Amen. We all need it, folks. Trust me. We do. It's a confusing world out there. Some of us don't really know who we are. Don't know what we believe. Believe one thing one day, one thing the next. We need to get solid in that thing. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word and for us.